Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Thank you. Thank you for that good reminder. We throw around those words marvelous and wonderful about a lot of things, and it is a good reminder what truly is marvelous and wonderful, and that is God's love for us. Right where you're at today, right in the midst of your circumstances, God's love for you is marvelous, it is wonderful, it is life-changing, and I'm glad that you're here today as we worship the God who loves us right where we're at today. So thank you for being here at Coastal Oaks Church. It is a good morning to be here. It's an odd morning, right? I did not expect the cold weather. We were at the beach last Sunday. I I don't know what's happening. And so if you're a little out of sorts today, uh, that's all right. We can just be out of sorts together uh, as we worship and open God's word. We are gonna start on a new series today. And if you have your Bible and wanna open it up to 1 Kings chapter 19, we are going to look at uh, a story together in just a few minutes, and so you can put your finger in your Bible there and just set that aside for a minute. Our series is about hearing God's voice. It's entitled, How to Miss God's Voice, and and that's not the goal of this series, is to teach you how to miss God's voice, but it is acknowledging the truth that for many of us, we tend to be better at missing God's voice sometimes than we hearing God's voice. Like our circumstances just lead us to end up missing out on God's voice. And maybe you've wondered, how is it that I would hear God's voice? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like God speaks or, or people claim that God speaks in some really like strange ways. I don't know if it's actually God speaking, but some people have this idea that God has shown up, he's spoken, they've heard God's voice in some unique ways that I just haven't experienced in my life. And, and one of those is sometimes it seems like God speaks through food to some people, not to me, but to some folks. Like for instance, this picture of this tortilla, like the face of Jesus showed up in this tortilla and it was like, clearly God's voice is speaking. Now, I've had some tacos that get pretty close to saying that was almost a religious experience. They're that good. But I can never say that I've heard God's voice speaking through a tortilla. I don't, I don't know if that's been your experience or not. Another person, they got a Cheeto and they were like, that looks like Jesus. Um, which, by the way, and prepare yourselves, there's a dad joke coming, okay? But if you have a Cheeto that looks like Jesus then clearly that's Jesus, right? Ooh. I warned you, all right? You knew, you knew it was coming, but that is, yeah, that is a cheesy joke if ever there's one. Ah, the second one, almost uh, not as good. All right, there you go. Some people think God's voice shows up in some odd ways. And maybe you've never thought like God was showing up in your food, but maybe you might have said something like this and thought, you know what? God's voice was evident because of my circumstances. 
Like perhaps somebody in here has maybe said, you know, that car was cheaper than the blue book value. So I knew that God wanted me to buy it, right? Like if you ever like, ooh, man, I don't know exactly if that's how God speaks, but maybe you've heard something like this. I, I've worked in student ministry for a while. So like I would hear some version of this from, from the students. Like, well, she texted me back. So I know that was God saying I should ask her out on a date. And I was like, Whoa, buddy, that may just be like a reminder. You should consistently wear deodorant if a girl is gonna text you back. Like, that would be a good start. I don't know that God is telling you to ask that girl out, but sometimes students would claim that that was the case. Or maybe you've just been going someplace, it's an important errand, and you're in a rush, and there's a parking space right at the very, very front, and you see that parking space, and you just think, this is confirmation that I'm right where God wants me to be. Like, I've heard his voice in the fact that there's an open parking space. Now, of course, nobody in here and nobody watching online, we've never thought nor uttered anything like that, right? But if we were to try and explain, well, how do we recognize God's voice? If it's not Jesus's face in a tortilla, it's not in a Cheeto, it's not in a parking space, how do we recognize God's voice? How do we hear God's voice in our life? I mean, so many times when we talk about God's voice, it's almost like God's voice is just a magic eight ball that like, I just want confirmation of my circumstances. Am I supposed to take that new job? And you shake up the eight ball and I just want to hear God's voice. Or am I supposed to, you know, buy this thing? I want to shake the eight ball and just find out God's voice in that set of circumstances. But what if hearing God's voice is actually something much more profound? It's much deeper, it's much more significant in our life. What if God's voice is bigger than any of those ways that we've thought about it before? There's a word discernment. Have you heard this word before, discernment? We throw it around in church sometimes, and this is that discipline of, of making sound judgments. That's really what discernment is about. Somebody that you would classify as saying they are a discerning individual, that means that they can make good judgments, good decisions. Really, the root of discernment is being able to see differences or to determine one thing from another. That's what discernment is about, being able to judge the differences between one thing or another. I have a friend who's a chef, he owns a restaurant, and this guy, when we're around him, he could try some new food, and he could tell you like the spice that's in it. Like he would taste this thing and say, hmm, it tastes like you put coriander in here. And meanwhile, I'm like, hmm, it tastes like you put chicken in here, right? Like I can't taste the half a teaspoon that's buried deep down amongst eight other spices, but he, he could just tell he had something we would call a discerning palate, right? Like he could just taste that extra little bit of spice. Maybe you know someone who is really good. They can look at all the paint swatches and they can actually see a difference between summer harvest and happy valley. And you're just like, they're just yellow. That's all that they are. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. This one has more ochre than it in, in that one. And you're like, I didn't even know ochre was a thing. What is that? And you're like, they are just yellow that person has a discerning eye, that they can just see the differences between one thing or another. That's what discernment is about. Now, the spiritual discipline of discernment is concerned with knowing right from wrong or being able to know God's agenda, God's plans, God's ways from our own. 
the one who is gifted in the, the gift of discernment, the one who has practiced the discipline of discernment is the one who has learned to hear God's voice, to think God's thoughts so that they can live as God has called them to live. That's the discerning individual, the one who has heard God's voice, the one who has tuned their heart so that way they are aware of God's agenda. As one pastor put it, it's when we can see as God sees, we are more likely to do what God says. That is the spiritual discipline of discernment. And it's built around that. It's hearing God's voice in our life. Now, that may all sound great, but how do we get started on this process? I bet you probably have more questions than you have answers about how we go about discernment, how we hear God's voice, how we learn to think God's thoughts. I mean, am I supposed to go someplace? Am I supposed to buy something? Like, how do I get started down the road of discernment? How do I get started down the pathway of learning to hear God's voice? Well, I think one of the first places that we can begin with is what I've already said. It's this starting point. It's this baseline assumption and recognition and confession in our life that for many of us, we are often better at missing God's voice than we are at hearing God's voice. Our circumstances, our habits, our own temptations and desires can often overpower and override God's voice in our life. And there may be a desire in our heads to hear God's voice, but that doesn't always translate to our heart and our hands. We don't always have the same passion and enthusiasm in our daily life. But there's good news for us. And the good news is this, that the Bible reminds us that there have often been people who have missed God's voice for one reason or another. The Bible reminds us that there are even people who are right on the edge. They are right at the line where they're about to miss God's voice or, or there's the temptation to miss God's voice and they've been able to still stay tuned to God's voice. And we can learn from their stories. We can read about them and then perhaps learn how we can be better, how we can not miss God's voice in our own life. And so today, we're going to look at the story of Elijah, Elijah who comes very close to missing God's voice and see how we might remember that one of the ways we can miss God's voice is if we're listening for the wrong things. Now, Elijah is a faith hero. He's one of those those people that you have probably heard some story about him in your life. And and certainly, if you had grown up as a a Jewish boy or Jewish girl, like in the time of Jesus, you would have heard story after story about Elijah. He would have been this, this person that you would have held up as this great hero of faith. And here we are 2,000 years later, and still we tell the stories of Elijah. Because Elijah comes along at a pivotal time in the history of Israel. There's a new king that shows up on the scene, and his name is Ahab. Now, we read about Ahab. We're introduced to him in just a couple of chapters before our text for today. In 1 Kings chapter 16, we meet Ahab, and this is what it says about him, that Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. 
Now, when we meet the kings in these history books, oftentimes they'll give their name, who they were the son of, and then whether or not they did what was right in the sight of the Lord or what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Ahab, it says, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But it goes a step further and says that he did so much evil, it was more than all who were before him. That's a unique distinction. We get a pretty clear picture of who Ahab is. But it goes further because Ahab decides to make one other choice that is terrible. It is against God's plan for his life. And he marries Jezebel. And together they go and serve Baal, this other god. Now, Jezebel may be a name that you've heard before or recognized. It's not usually like the name that, that brings to mind flattering images, right? Or like if, if you ever were compared to Jezebel, that is not a flattering uh, comparison at all. Like you wouldn't want to get a birthday card that says, happy birthday, you Jezebel. You'd be like, oh, that's weird. I don't like that at all. Because Jezebel is not a hero of the faith. And Jezebel and Ahab together lead a spiritual revolution in Israel, but not the positive kind. They turn the country to other gods. They begin to build other idols and and temples and Asherah poles and turn the worship of the people away from the one true God to Baal. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 33 that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. Ahab and Jezebel, not a good couple, right? Not great people, not the kind of people we would want to emulate or base our lives around. And so we have Ahab as this new king, and God is frustrating. God is provoked to anger. And so God says, I am going to cause it not to rain in the country. And not just not rain, but there's going to be no moisture at all. No dew even. Because there's going to be a drought and a famine. You see, the country, their physical condition was going to match the spiritual condition of the people. In the same way that there was a drought and a famine for their passion and pursuit of God, so too there was going to be a physical drought and famine in the land. No rain at all. And God delivers this message through Elijah. Elijah shows up and he has a message from God that there is not going to be any rain, any moisture, even any dew. And so Elijah becomes public enemy number one. Elijah is out there telling everybody, you should turn to God. You should repent and turn to God. He is public enemy number one. And all of a sudden, it comes down to this showdown between Elijah and the prophets of this other God. And this is a great story. You see, the prophets and Elijah, they show up on this mountain, and, and, and Elijah tells them, hey, I'll tell you what, you guys take a bull and put it on an altar, and I'll take a bull and put it on an altar, and we'll each call down fire from our God, and we'll see who shows up. Ooh, that's bold, right? Like, we're going to see which God is real. We're just going to find out today, once and for all, is your God real or is our God real? And we're going to find out here in front of everyone. And so the prophets of Baal, they take their bull, they put it on an altar, they, they get everything ready, and they call to Baal to rain down fire on their altar But Baal doesn't show up. So they call louder. They do all of these things that they can do. Elijah, meanwhile, is taunting them, and nothing happens. 
And Elijah decides to raise the stakes at this moment. He says, you know what? Why don't we, we take my altar? Why don't you pour some water on it? So they go and get some, some jars, some buckets of water. They pour it on the altar. And I, Elijah says, why don't you do that again? And so they do it again. Elijah says, why don't you do it one more time? And then Elijah prays, and God shows up. God sends fire, and it consumes his altar and his offering. Can you imagine being there at that moment? I mean, how incredible that would have been, right, to have seen this. You saw the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and then you saw this lone man, Elijah, the representative of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and God shows up, and God consumes this altar, this offering. Man, can you imagine what that would have been like? But things get even better. Because then God gives a message to Elijah and says, it's now going to rain in the land. And it does. And can you imagine being one of the people who would have seen all of this taking place? I mean, it would have been clear, we shouldn't follow this other God. We should follow the God of Israel, Yahweh. That's where we should give our love and devotion. And Elijah should have been just on top of the world. This is the best moment of his life. He's had this incredibly difficult message to deliver to the people, and now everybody has seen evidence that there is only one true God. This should have been the best moment of Elijah's life. But when we meet him right after this, we find him in a crisis of faith. We find Elijah not at the top of the world, but actually at one of the lowest moments of his entire life. Because you see, as all of this is unfolding, Jezebel sends a death threat to Elijah. She makes a promise in 1 Kings 19, verses two and three, that she is going to find him and kill him. And it says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. I mean, Elijah, in this moment, he just has seen God show up, and yet one message from the queen sends him running for his life. That's where we find Elijah as we pick up the story today in 1 Kings 19, verse 9. Elijah, it says, comes to a cave, and he lodges in it. He stays there at this cave. Now, it's important to know where this cave is located at. You see, Elijah had taken off. He had run away. He had been going towards the king and the queen, but instead he hears what Jezebel has planned for him, and he takes off running in the opposite direction. And ultimately, we hear that he goes for 40 days and for 40 nights out into the wilderness to a mountain, Mount Horeb. Now, this mountain, Mount Horeb, has known by a different name in some of the Old Testament stories, and it's Mount Sinai. Now, that may, may ring a bell or jog some memories, because Mount Sinai is the mountain where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And Mount Sinai is the same mountain where at the base of it, all of the people who were waiting for Moses to come down, they got impatient. And so they threw their gold into a fire and they ended up making this golden calf to worship. And Mount Sinai is the same place where God's anger burned against the people, but Moses pleads on their behalf. And Mount Sinai is the same place where Moses goes into a cave and says, God, will you show me your glory? And God's presence passes by. This same mountain is an important mountain in Israel's history. And Elijah goes 40 days, 40 nights into the wilderness because he is looking to go where God is going to show up 
He's trying to recreate the same situation that the people had created a long time ago. That is, they were wandering in the wilderness and God showed up. Elijah, at this broken moment, this moment when he is sad, when he is scared, when he's disappointed, he goes out thinking that this is the place where he is going to hear from God. He goes to the mountain. He goes to Mount Horeb, and he comes to a cave, and he lodges in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, that's not just an inquisitive question. That is actually meant to be uh, 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 interrogative. Did I say that right? God is interrogating Moses at this moment. What are you doing here, Elijah? This is not where I've called you to be. Why have you shown up here, Elijah? And we find out in Elijah's answer in verse 10. Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What is Elijah saying here? God, I've done everything that you've asked of me. I've shown up, I've given the message, I've done everything you wanted, but I am alone I'm the only one in the whole country who has followed you. I I just took on the biggest challenge of my life, and now they want me dead. That's not how things are supposed to work out. I mean, can you hear the desperation and disappointment in Elijah? I'm afraid is what he's trying to say. I'm mad. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed is what Elijah is saying. I'm all alone. There's nobody else Who cares about you, God? I'm all alone. You see, what we find out in Elijah's answer is that Elijah is listening to the wrong things. The wrong voices are filling up Elijah's head. I mean, Elijah is paying attention to what the queen says at this extreme level. I mean, like the queen has wanted him dead for a long, long, long time, but all of a sudden, Elijah gives so much credence to this threat And instead of paying attention and remembering the way that God has provided for him and protected him, instead he's worried about the queen's message. He's listening to the wrong thing. Elijah is listening to his own fear and his own doubt and his own disappointment instead of remembering the way that God has sustained him over and over and over again. You see, Elijah's answer reveals that he is listening to the wrong things. That he's missing out on God's voice. That he can't hear from God because he is listening to the wrong things. He's listening to the queen. He's listening to his own thoughts, his own feelings. And Elijah is right on the edge of missing God's voice. In the next verse, God says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passes by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Do you see what's happening here? There's these great natural phenomenon, right? There's a wind that breaks apart the rocks, but the scripture tells us God wasn't in the wind. And Elijah is standing there and there's an earthquake and he survives this incredible earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there's a fire, but but God's not in the fire. 
All three of those things, if we were to flip back through our history of the people of Israel, we'd see that so many times when God has shown up, there have been great winds. So many times when God has shown up, the earth has shook. And so many times when God has shown up, there, there has been fire. But in this instance, all of these natural phenomenon, all of these things that Elijah would have thought, certainly this is God speaking to me, God isn't in any of them. You see, Elijah's looking for the big, the crazy, the outlandish, the huge thing to happen, but God isn't in any of those things. The wind shows up, the earthquake rumbles the earth, and the fire falls, but God isn't in any of those things. But listen to the next verse. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Do you see what gets Elijah's attention? It's not the wind that breaks apart the rocks. It's not the earthquake that shakes the ground. It's not the fire. No, it's the sound of a low whisper. This, this verse is calling into contrast the difference between all of those other things and what finally prompts Elijah to act. And the ESV says the sound of a low whisper. Depending on what translation you have, this is one of those verses that's hard to translate and interpret. The NIV says, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. The King James says, after the fire, a still small voice. But it's hard to know exactly what is being communicated here. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a whisper, maybe it's a still small voice, but the most literal idea is actually no sound at all. Which is why I love what the New Revised Standard says, that after the fire there was the sound of sheer silence. Have you ever been in a noisy environment and it's just like your senses are being assaulted and then everything is quiet. You're finally able to get in the car and there's nobody there and the radio's not even on. And it's like you can just hear the sound of silence. That after everything, all of the noise, the screaming, everything that's happened around you, that you just get in that place where it's quiet and there is the sound of sheer silence. That's what prompts Elijah to move. You see, when he begins to hear God, when he notices God's voice, God isn't in the wind. God isn't in the earthquake. God isn't in the fire, but in this sound of sheer silence. That's when Elijah's ears perk up. And that's when he walks to the cave. And that's when he and God have a conversation. And Elijah's put back on mission. See, the truth is that God was speaking even when it wasn't obvious to Elijah. Elijah was looking around at his circumstances. He was seeing the message from the queen, and he begins to pay attention to all of that instead of God's voice. But God was speaking even when it wasn't obvious to Elijah. See, in the middle of all of that noise, it's the sound of sheer silence. It's the still, small voice. It's the gentle and low whisper that reminds Elijah of God's voice. And the truth for us is that if God can even speak in silence, then there's never a time when God doesn't speak to us. That if God can even speak in the sound of a low whisper, the sound of a still small voice, the sound of sheer silence, then there's never a time when God doesn't speak to us. 
So when we think about hearing God's voice, you might think that the biggest challenge is, is God's voice going to be loud enough to be heard over all of the other noise in your life? But maybe the real challenge for us is how do we turn down the volume on all of that other noise so that we can hear the sound of the still, small voice? See, we're really good at listening to a lot of voices, to turning up the volume, right? There's probably family members that, man, we turn up the volume. There's probably people on talk radio, we turn up the volume. There's people on our favorite news station, we turn up the volume. There's writers and bloggers and podcasters, and we keep turning, on the, turning up the volume on all of these other voices. And perhaps what God wants to remind us today is that if we want to listen to his voice We have to turn down the volume everywhere else and listen for that still, small voice, that gentle and low whisper that can be found in the sheer silence. Jesus, in the book of John, tells his disciples, he says, my sheep can hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus describes the relationship of what it's like to to follow after him. He says that, that followers of him, his sheep, those that follow him, they hear his voice and he knows them. There's this reciprocal relationship. And because we hear his voice and because he knows us, we follow after him. And so the question is, friends, how do we hear God's voice? How do we look past all of the other noise in our life? How do we we drown all of that out? How do we turn down the volume and instead pay attention to the still, small voice? A couple of ideas how you can do that. One of the ways that you can learn to listen for God's voice is when you read Scripture. Now, I know that sounds so obvious. Oh, okay, read the Bible. That's how I'm going to learn to hear God's voice. But think about what happens when you read the Bible. When you turn off the TV, when you set aside your phone, when the radio's not on, when there's nothing else going on, you are pausing all the other noise in your life and saying, God, speak to me through your word. God, I'm ready to hear that still, small voice. So if you want to learn to hear God's voice, one of the most immediate things you can do is begin to read Scripture on a regular basis. Make time to read Scripture. Second thing you can do is when you spend time in prayer listening for God's voice. And you might think, well, that's, that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is about when I tell God all the things that I need, right? Because I've got a lot of things. There's people that are sick. There's big decisions coming up. There's things that I'm unsure of. And that's what prayer is about. Except when we read Jesus's words in Matthew, he says that actually God knows all of those things. He knows all of your needs before you even ask him, which might lead us to wonder, well, what's the point of prayer then? Prayer is that moment when our hearts are aligned with God's hearts. Prayer is that moment when we begin to see as God sees. Prayer is that moment when we learn how to think God's thoughts. That when you are quiet, when you pause, when you find some silence in prayer, and instead of giving God the laundry list of requests, instead we just say, God, I am open. I want to hear your voice. How can you hear God's voice? Well, in scripture and in prayer. But the last way that we can hear God's voice, not the last way, but just the last way for today, is when we are obedient to what God has called us to do. 
You see, when those moments happen, when we think, God, I think you want me to do this, and we trust him, when we take a step of faith and we find that there is this confirmation, right, that my circumstances and God's spirit have aligned in such a way that I know I'm right where I should be, that I've been obedient to what God has called me to do, that, that that's confirmation. That's when we can hear God's voice saying, yes, you are where you should be. But sometimes we hear God's voice not in obedience, but actually in disobedience. That it's actually when God is nudging us back to where we should go, what we might call conviction. You probably at some point have put a destination in one of the map programs on your phone, and it's like, okay, I need directions where I'm going to go, and you started the navigation, and then at some point during the drive, you didn't realize how quickly the street was approaching, and you missed your right turn. Well, what happens with your phone? It quickly reroutes, and it starts fussing at you, right? Like, no, no, you you got to turn right the next street. You've got to do that. But only you didn't realize that you missed the turn, and now it's taken some time, and so you missed the turn again. And what happens this time? Well, your phone starts fussing at you again, right? And it's telling you, you, you need to take the next right turn. It's trying to get you back on the path of where you should be going that's God's voice in our life sometimes, that voice of conviction, that voice that's reminding you this is where you are supposed to be heading, that you're not actually going the right way, that you've actually made a wrong turn, and I want to guide you back to where you should be. That's God's voice in our life, God's voice nudging us back to the pathway of where he wants us to be. Friends, one of the easiest ways to miss God's voice in our life is to listen for the wrong things. That is to let all the other noise in our life drown out God's voice so that we don't hear that gentle whisper, that still small voice. And so my question for you this week is where can you cultivate some silence in your life? Where can you find some moments where you can practice silence that, that you're not listening to the voice on the news, that you're not listening to the voice on talk radio, that, that the voices on social media, you're gonna set those aside for a moment and say, I am going to practice listening for God's voice. Where can you cultivate some silence in your life this week? Because no matter your history, your experience, the baggage you bring in with you today, each of us can begin the work right now of learning to hear God's voice the first step is we gotta stop listening to the wrong things and instead pause, quiet things down, and remember that God is always at work around us. He's always with us and he's always ready to speak to us. Would you pray with me?